Today we start a new sermon series, Experiencing God, and uh, I want to say welcome. Glad that you've chosen worship with us this morning. I'm Justin Jordan. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, this is a series This is actually our third time going through this series as a church in the 14 years of our existence. And every single time we go through this series, God reveals more of himself, his purposes, his ways, not only to me, but to our church as a whole. And so uh, I'm super excited about this series. Uh, God speaks every single time. And in conjunction with the series that we're going through, uh, there is actually a daily devotional workbook. And if you haven't grabbed that daily devotional workbook, I want to encourage you to grab it. You can go online right now, Amazon and they order it and it'll be here in two days you go to lifeway as well lifeway.com and they have it uh don't miss out on the opportunity of journeying with jesus throughout the week through this sermon series our home groups are going to be talking about each of the the um principles each week and so i want to encourage you if you haven't done it do it and you might be saying well it's 22 dollars. how many of you guys get a mocha or latte every day it's only like four or five lattes or mochas. Like, just carve that aside, go get the workbook, and you will not regret doing that. So, with that being said, um, I'm a pastor, and sometimes what happens that I, I don't actually appreciate, it's actually hard to navigate, is um, pastors get put on pedestals. And I would prefer not to be get put on a pedestal because the reality is I'm just like you. I'm just a human being. I put my pants on the same way, one foot at a time. If you do two feet both at the same time, like, uh, good luck with that, right? Like, doesn't work, right? Uh, I'm just like you. I'm no different. And so I ask questions with Jesus. I have, I have questions that I wrestle with. Um, and uh, some of these questions are, where are you? Where are you, God? Um, what are you doing? Does anybody else ask that question? Where are you, God? What are you doing? Um, God, how do I know that you're speaking to me? How do I know if I'm supposed to respond and what you're saying to me? How do I experience more of your presence, God? Where are you? How can I know you more? Those are questions that I ask in my walk with Jesus. And honestly, the last couple years, I think we've been asking that question more, haven't we? Um, It's been an interesting season, journey. Um, these are questions that we wrestle with. And, and the reality of it is, is that if we, don't, if we don't have some way to actually begin to get answers to those questions, and I'm not, I'm not saying that there can't be seasons where you ask those questions, but if the majority of your Christian walk, that's the only questions you're asking, and you're not actually getting answers to those questions, if God isn't actually speaking to you, if you're not experiencing Him, his purposes, his ways, a relationship with him. If you don't have answers to those questions, I would argue fundamentally as followers of Jesus, we're in trouble. Would you agree with that? We're in trouble. Barna says, Barna's a Christian statistician, uh, says that 80% of Christians don't experience God on a regular basis. 80%. Um... What if God had something more for us? What if God had something more for you? What if God had something more for us as we journey and walk with him? This nine-week series is really wrestling with how can I know and do God's will and how can I be in relationship with him? And what is he inviting me into? Now, the, the first, or this nine weeks, the first two weeks is kind of a foundation setting two weeks, this week and next week. 
Um, and then we start jumping into the seven realities of what it means to experience God and how we can actually experience God. And so as we lay the foundation this week and next week, we'll get into the seven realities. Um, just re remember that uh, we'll eventually get into the steps, but we, we've got to lay a, a good foundation first if we're actually going to walk into those steps. And the first foundation that we're going to find is in Hebrews chapter 1. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. You've got sermon notes in the bulletin. Hebrews chapter 1. The writer of Hebrews uh, starts off this way. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And so by his son, who is the son? And this is easy Sunday school answer. The son is, good job, Jesus, right? By Jesus, our son, uh, by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And through him also he made the universe. The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation, not, not kind of representation, the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. After He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so He became as much superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is superior to theirs. So, who is Jesus? Right of Hebrews says, that he is the exact representation of God the Father. Some people say, well, Jesus was a great teacher. He was just a great prophet. No. Writer Hebrews says that Jesus is the exact representation of God the Father. That he came and he lived as a representative of who God is and for us as human beings, how we're called to actually live. Jesus is our model and example to us on how to live and to hear from God. And so we're going to go through this series looking at different people and how they experience God, but we're going to keep coming back to Jesus and asking the question, how did Jesus live? How did he walk? Because he's not only the exact representation of what God's like, but in addition, he's the exact model and example for us as human beings how to interact with the Father. Are you with me this morning, church? This is making sense, okay? We go to Jesus. We go to him not just for our salvation— we also go, go to him as our Lord. And when he's our Lord, that means he calls us to live a certain way. And when we live a certain way, we can begin to experience God in profound ways. We can't just say, Jesus, I want to follow you and I want to be baptized into you and I want you to save me from my sins and just say, I'm going to live however I want to live. That's not how it works. Jesus actually showed us a model on how to experience the Father. We're going to talk more about that reality of living a certain way next week as we look to the Father, as we look to Jesus and seeing his life and how he lived. But Jesus is our model. He's our example of how we actually hear from God. And, and the thing of it is, is when we, when we live that way, we actually enter into the proper place for where we actually have relationship with God. We actually begin to have relationship with Jesus. And that actually becomes the point of all that we do. Peter puts it this way in 2 Peter. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the, what's the next word? Through the knowledge of God and of our Jesus, our Savior. Is that what it says? Lord, exactly. We're picking up on this same theme. That Jesus is not just our Savior, he's our Lord. Through the knowledge of God and of our Jesus, our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need. Did you just catch that? His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. You see, 
Jesus our Lord, through his divine power and through the knowledge of knowing him, having a relationship with him, gives us everything we need in this life to live a godly life. Everything that you need to live, that God's called you to live, is found in knowledge of God, knowledge of relationship with him. And so for us as as God's people, we need to be a people that are seeking after Jesus with everything that we have and growing in relationship with him because in relationship with him is the ability for us to actually live and to live properly. The goal of following Jesus is not to get what you want or to follow a formula to hear him speak. The goal is to know Jesus more and grow in depth with him. As we grow in knowledge with him, we grow in relationship with him. Why, Why do I bring this up? Because some of you are going to enter a new experience in God, and you're going to see these steps. You're going to go, this is a formula. This is a formula. And I'm going to say, no, 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 it's not a formula. It's never a formula. God doesn't work in formulas. Because in real relationship, formulas don't work. But there are principles that drive us into real relationship. It's not a formula. We don't worship the formula. We worship and enter into relationship with Jesus and, and do you want to know that proof that formulas don't work in real relationship? Just look at your marriage. If you have a formula in your marriage of communication, it never works. I know this by example because my wife, as I begin the formula of communicating properly, she goes, don't, I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. Oh, I, 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 I'm just trying to talk no i you're no don't do that to me don't do that to me am i the only one yeah you guys all know you've experienced this right formulas don't work in real relationship okay the goal is that in real relationship we would grow in our depth and understanding of jesus that's the point of this as we go through experiencing god If you think that it's like, well, I do this, I do this, I do this, then God will do what I'm asking him to do. That's not how it works. Or that that I will experience God in a more powerful way. No, that's not how it works. He wants you to grow in depth and understanding of who he is, called by his glory and goodness. Look at how Peter goes on to say, through these he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. You may participate in the divine nature having escaped corruption in the world caused by evil desires for this very reason make every effort to add to your faith goodness and a goodness knowledge and a knowledge self-control and a self-control perseverance and a perseverance godliness and a godliness mutual affection and a mutual affection love for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying a whole lot here, but here's the thing. As we grow in our depth and relationship with Jesus, we actually begin to participate in the very nature of who God is. That's pretty stinking cool, isn't it? You're like, well, is it? No, it is. We get to participate in the very nature of what God is like. And here's the thing. When we do that, when we walk as disciples of Jesus, when we are surrendered and obedient to what Jesus is calling us to, and I begin to understand what Jesus is like, and I participate in what Jesus is like, I begin to change the world. Jesus, through me, I begin to make a difference in the world. And, I, and I'm not what Peter just said, where I become ineffective 
in my knowledge of who Jesus is? Do you know a Christian who knows who Jesus is, but they are ineffective in actually making a difference in the world? We all have those. We all know those people. Because they're actually not participating in the divine nature of what God is like. Let me give you an example of, of what that looks like. Of how we become more like Jesus. We participate in his goodness, which then eventually leads to, what's the last part of that that he says? He says it's, it's love, right? We, per, we, we have endurance, which leads to love. So there's a, there's a video going around on social media right now. It's going viral, and it's a Little League video. I'm watching a lot of Little League highlight videos. There's a couple of them that are my favorite. The one that's one of my favorites, it's my second favorite, is there's a kid from Wyoming that is getting in the batter's box, and for batting gloves, he has rancher gloves on. Like, this is perfect for Wyoming, right? And by the way, he hits a dinger, all right? Hits a home run with wearing ranching gloves as his batting gloves, like perfect Wyoming. Here's my favorite video that's going around right now in Little League. A kid takes a ball to the head. Do you see this video? He takes a ball to the head in the batter's box, and it crumples him. I mean, he drops. Because I'm guessing it hurt a little bit. It probably scared him more than it hurt because it hits him in the helmet, okay? So he's got a helmet to protect him. He gets up eventually and gets to first base, and as he's getting to first base, he looks over at the pitcher, and the pitcher is a mess, crying upset because he believes he just hit and hurt this kid and as you know as a 12 year old 13 year old whole lot of hormones starting to kick in right the ability to control your emotions as 11 12 13 year old it's a hard thing to do it's a hard thing to do as an adult and this kid is on the biggest stage of his life up in this moment on the pitcher's mound just hit a kid and he's melting and his opponent is on first base you know what his opponent does that kid that got hit in the head he walks over to the mound and he holds him and you can hear him say I'm alright man I'm alright you're alright you got this the display of sportsmanship is just unbelievable the display of love and goodness is just unbelievable they asked him after the game why'd you do that you know what he said I just wanted to show him what Jesus was like knowledge of God knowledge of who Jesus is relationship with him and he is showing the world what God is like and that kid would you say is effective or ineffective in his knowledge of Jesus I would say he's showing the world this is what it means to be effective in the knowledge of following Jesus and so for us as followers of Jesus if we want to experience God we have to realize that Jesus is the example, the model. And secondly, as we enter into a relationship with him, it's not a formula, but instead, it's an ability for us to grow in our depth and wisdom so that our lives would be effective in moving the kingdom forward. The goal is to know Jesus more and to live for him more. And as much as you're like, well, yeah, that, that makes sense. That's easy. It's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. And Peter talks about it. Because there's corruption in the world. There's evil desires in the world. There's evil desires from within me. My flesh wants to take over, not God's spirit. And so Jesus is inviting us to know him more and experience him more and to grow in relationship with him. 
And as we do, we begin to see that Jesus operated a certain way with the Father. He talks about it in John chapter 5, as religious leaders are coming after him because he's doing a big no-no. He's healing and doing work in the Sabbath. And they're criticizing him for it. And Jesus says this in their response. He says, in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his, what's that next word? What is it? Work. My father is always at his work. To this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he's, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. Do you recognize what Jesus just said here? Jesus just said, I don't just do whatever I want. I recognize that my father is always at, always at work. Always at work. And that I see what my father is doing and I do the same work that he is doing. This is like profound for some of you because you're in a marriage right now that's, that's not bringing life. And you look around and you go, all I see is brokenness. Then Jesus enters and says, no, I'm at work. I'm still at work. Some of you, you go to work and you go, man, my work sucks. My boss is horrible. My, my, my buddies and my coworkers, like, man, they annoy me. Like, I just hate it. Like, oh, my job's horrible. God's always at work. He's always at work. Some of you guys are getting ready to go to school middle school high school i hate my school i hate my life another year of school ah. has anybody started school yet there's a couple no not this hour next week week after my life's horrible <laughs> summer ended so fast no god's at work God's at work in your school. God's at work in your home. God's at work in your workplace. You may not see it. You may not understand it. God is at work. Jesus says, my father is always at work. And whatever he does, I do also. And I join him in what he's doing. Jesus sees where God is at work and he joins the father. And here's the thing. Oftentimes we think, that if we just pray enough in whatever difficult situation that's happening, whatever home environment we're in, whatever work situation, relationship, whatever the case may be, that if I just pray enough, that I just, that I just do enough, that maybe God would bless what I'm doing. That maybe God would come on over to my side and give me what I want or what I think is right. But the scriptures don't paint that picture. Yes, he gives us the desires of our heart. The passages say that. He gives us the desires of our heart. But, and the heart can be good, but the Bible's, Bible also says that the, the, the heart can also be deceptive. The heart can lead us astray. 
And so we, as God's people, have to enter in in a relationship with Jesus and ask him the question, am I just asking God with what I want? Or am I asking a different question? Am I praying a different thing? What would that different thing? Maybe it's Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. And the reason why he's known as the weeping prophet in the Old Testament is because dude's crying a lot, all right? Like he's in a bad situation as he's trying to lead God's people. And, it, and he, God asks him to do a lot of crazy things. Um, I'll save you some of the gory details of what God asks him to do that you're kind of going, what is happening right now? But I would encourage you to read Jeremiah if you've never read, read Jeremiah because God has Jeremiah do some crazy things. One of the things he has him do is this, verse 18, chapter 18, verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I'll give you my message. So Jeremiah is obedient. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Do you understand? Do we understand what's going on here? You know, potter, pottery. For those of you guys that aren't in high school and never made pottery out of clay, like you'll learn eventually, okay? But pottery, he's, he's shaping this pot into a certain shape that seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me and he said, can I not do with you, Israel, the people, God's people, can I not do with you as this potter does? Creates a pot that is better. Creates a pot that is greater. Declares the Lord, like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. God is the one that makes the pot how he sees fit. God, will you just do what I'm asking you to do? And God says, no, I have a different purpose for you. I'm going to mold you, and I'm going to shape you, and I'm going to change you for what I see fit. And for some of us, sometimes we don't understand that as God is beginning to change and grow us in doing things that are like, I don't understand what you're doing. God says, you don't understand now, but eventually you will. And for any of us that have been walking with Jesus for any amount of time, you've experienced that, haven't you? You've been in a season where you're like, God, I don't know what you're doing. This is really painful. I don't really experience, I don't like experiencing this. I don't know what you're up to. And then a couple years goes by and you go, oh, I knew what you were doing at that time now. But it's us being surrendered. Surrendered to whatever he decides to do as he forms the clay. Paul picks up on this same thing in Romans chapter 9. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what does form say to the one formed it? Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? Here's the reality we have to wrestle with. This is not necessarily a fun one, but it's, it is the truth. God is under no obligation to bless your life and to bless your agenda. He molds you to his purposes because of his great love for you and for his glory. In our American world, where we get what we want, even if we work hard enough, we get what we want, God has no obligation to bless that. No obligation. 
Now here's the thing. As much as like allowing God to form us and change us and sculpt us into whatever it is that he's up to, we don't like doing that because it's oftentimes painful. But here's the other thing is in the midst of the pain that we experience, oftentimes we have to rework our belief systems about what God's actually really up to. You notice on that last line that it's, he does this for his great love for you and for his glory. But when you're going through difficult things and you're asking God, God, I'm submitted and surrendered. I don't like this. Oftentimes we begin to think God must not love me, but he does love you. When we discipline our children, we do it because we love them. But if you were to ask the kids, it doesn't feel like love right now. Like, yep, it doesn't, but it, but it is rooted in love. If it's done correctly, discipline. It's rooted in love and for his glory. Because some of you had a father that didn't discipline you in love. And for the father's glory. He did it out of anger. He did it out of shame. He did it out of a lot of other things. And in the process, you've begun to believe that that's what God is like because that's how you're human earthly father was like and that's not what God is like some of you think that that God is kind of like my youngest Theo who is six I don't know about you but when I play with play-doh we don't mix colors with play-doh anybody else with me we don't mix the colors the right jars go in the right play-doh colors we don't mix Play-Doh colors. And the other thing we don't do is, is we, just, we just gently form things with the Play-Doh. My Theo, my little Theo, uh, he's six. The kid is on full tilt all the time. It's like the guy's got like Red Bull for breakfast, like every single day. He's got so much energy. He's just always full tilt. There's a, there's a TikTok video going around during the 4th of July where kids are like just like enjoying you know the the sparklers and it's all kind and good and calm and then in the background there's this kid that runs across the screen screaming someone give me fire with his sparkler (laughs) that's my son theo he is just a fireball okay and when he gets his play-doh out he's like it sounds like he's breaking my table it's like what are you doing over there he's like smashing the play-doh and rolling it around and mixing colors and i come over and i go all the Play-Doh's ruined. Like, what are you doing over here? I have to scrape Play-Doh out of the cracks of the table because it goes everywhere. And that's how you guys, some of you, think that God is like that. That he's just crazy, full tilt, ready to discipline you. But, But God, he shapes the clay and he does it out of love and for his glory. And sometimes that feels like, oh, but God says, I'm, I'm here to shape you, to change you, and mold you to my purposes. Out of my love, and out of my, ultimately my glory. Sometimes that's really difficult. But we have to be willing to understand God is under no obligation to bless your, your thing. He may be inviting you into his thing. What are the seven realities of experiencing God? I'm just going to give you an overview over where we're going over the next couple weeks. Next week, we're going to talk about looking to God in our life and what that means. And then we're going to start working through these seven realities. We already talked about, number one, that God is always at work. Even though you may not see it, 
even though you may not feel it, God is at work. Exodus chapter 2, all these passages are actually rooted in the Exodus story, is the story of Israel being freed from Egypt. And it says that they were enslaved in, the, in Exodus, that God's people were enslaved, that a Pharaoh rose up who didn't know Yahweh, didn't know God, and was essentially dismissive of God's people and saw them and said, they outnumber us, we need to make them into slaves. And so he puts them into slavery. And in the midst of that, God's people are crying out. And you would think that God had abandoned them, but God had not abandoned them. Look at Exodus chapter 2. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery, and they cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And God, what's it say? God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Here's the thing. It may seem like God's not at work. God is always at work. God is always at work. He was at work in Exodus. He's at work in your life. God's not near. No, he's near. He's at work. Number two, God pursues a love relationship with us. It's the whole point of, of God is relationship with us and his glory. Number three, God invites us to be involved with him in his work. He invites us to be involved in what he's doing. Not blessing what we do, but being involved in what he's doing. Exodus chapter 3, I've come down to rescue my people from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is God talking to Moses, to the people. I've come to rescue them. Uh, the home of the, all the ites. You see all the ites there? Okay, we're not going to read through them. The ites, all right? Home of the ites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And who is he sending? Moses. Moses, right? Ten Commandments, remember? Let my people go, right? So God invites us to be involved with him in his work. Number four, God speaks to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. The angel appeared to Moses, to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, and it did not burn up. Isn't that weird? Kind of weird. Ever seen a bush on fire but not burn up? No, never seen that, right? And Moses goes, that's weird. Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. It was not rare, it's not rare for things to combust in the wilderness because it gets so hot there, Right? But what Moses was confused by is, why is the bush not burning up? And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him to, uh, from within the bush, Moses, there it is, Moses. And Moses said, here I am, which is a really, really important statement in the Bible. When someone says, here I am, they are saying, here I am in full vulnerability and transparency, God, when God looks upon the land that's ravaged and needs to send a missionary to communicate to the people, and Isaiah, God's saying, who am I going to send? Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's wrestling with God about what God wants him to do, which is to go to the cross for your sins, he's crying out to God, and he says, if there's another way, God... I'd like to know what that plan is because I'm up to that plan B. That's Justin's translation. But if this is the only way, God, 
This is the only way to reconcile your creation, your people. Jesus says, here I am. And so Moses comes to God. Here I am, God. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the ites. Right? Here's what I want you to know. When God speaks to you, God does not use small talk. He says, this is who I am. And this is what I'm inviting you into. And we have to decide, are we going to leap? Are we going to jump? Are we going to take the leap of faith and be obedient? God isn't up to small talk. Number five, God's invitation will cause a crisis of belief. If you remember when God invites Moses into what he's up to, Moses is like, why are you sending me? I can't talk. I'm not a good leader. All the list of excuses. Why? Because he has actually a crisis of belief. Could God actually use me? And when God speaks to you about his will and his purposes, it's always like, wait a second, God. Wait a second. And we have to decide, are we going to address the crisis of belief? In order to follow God, we have to make major adjustments to our lives. Did you catch that? We will have to make major adjustments to our lives. God, come and bless this thing. No, God's like, no, I'm at work over here. And it's going to require you to change and adjust to what I'm up to. As you follow him. Number seven, we come to know God through our experience when we're willing to then take the leap of faith to decide the crisis of belief that my belief system has to change, that I have to trust God and what he's asking me and inviting me into and you obediently surrender, then through experience do you get to experience God in a very, very powerful way. And we know this, Moses, right? Did Moses eventually go to Egypt and rescue God's people out of Egypt? Did he? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And in the process of that, as he goes and rescues God's people out of Egypt, Pharaoh changes his mind. Pharaoh changes his mind and decides to run after the Israelites. And as they're running out into the desert and they see Pharaoh coming, God's people bemoan to Moses. Moses, did you just lead us out here to, remember they say, lead us out here to die? And God, after all the things that he had shown Israel, all the signs and wonders, they're still not trusting, still not understanding. And so God disorients the Egyptian army. And as they come to the Red Sea, Moses raises his hand, his staff, and the Red Sea parts. And it doesn't just part. It parts, and all of God's people walk through the Red Sea, moving towards the Promised Land. And it says in the text that the ground is dry. There's these moments when we 
surrender and are obedient to Jesus, when he invites us to do crazy things, and then we look on the other side of it, and then we go, there is no doubt that God just did an amazing, mighty work. The ground was dry. Have you ever experienced that before? And if you haven't, God wants to invite you into that type of relationship where you go, I just, I just saw a miracle. I just experienced God in an amazing, powerful way. No doubt, God just did an amazing work. And that's my hope as we go through this sermon series is that you would be able to go through it and go, I'm hearing and seeing amazing things from the Lord and my growth and depth of relationship with Him is growing. Whatever He says, whatever He asks of me, I'm going to do it because He has greater things for me to accomplish. We're going to get ready to go to the Lord's table and take communion. And as we get ready for communion, you weren't prepared to take communion, if you didn't grab communion, if you just want to raise your hand and these amazing um, ushers will serve you a piece of bread, a cup of juice that are symbols of Jesus' body and blood poured out for you. And as they just keep your hands up, they'll make sure they get you some. But as you get ready to come to the Lord's table, I'd just like you to reflect on this take-home slide and just ask the question, like, What adjustments is the Lord asking you to make right now as you walk with him? For some of you, it's just simply as, I need to start spending time with Jesus. I need to go into that workbook and I just need to spend time with Jesus. For some of you, God's asking you to do some pretty big things. You've got to decide, are you going to allow your crisis of belief to drive you or are you going to join God in what he's up to? For some of you, it means surrendering to him and his will for the first time in your life. That Jesus would be not only your savior, but he'd also be your Lord. So whatever it is that Jesus is inviting you into at the table, I just want to invite you to have a conversation with him this morning as we get ready to have communion together as a family. Spend some time with him.